0: anywhere even at 30,000 feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary we were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
2: hello there this is andy Mix with rock chalk talk uh we are doing our second episode of the rebooted podcast uh, i have a couple guests with me tonight uh you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself mike
1: yeah mike plank uh your friendly EIC and uh Yeah, that's that's all we got. <laughs>
2: and and then we also got Steve. Uh
3: that is correct. And I uh also run the Twitter account, which is very important.
2: Yes, most definitely. All right, well I thought we would just jump right in. Um we'll start with our thoughts on the last couple games that we had this past week. Uh Kansas beating UC Davis and Michigan State quite handily in both cases. Uh why don't you why don't you go ahead and start us off, Steve?
3: Uh yeah, well, uh, you know, UC Davis they kinda took a while to get going, which I think is probably more rough than anything. You know, they had the TCU game, uh, and that was about it for twelve days or whatever it was. And uh Michigan State, you know, again it was a pretty tight game until the last five minutes or so and then they just had one of their patented runs and took over. But um I don't, I don't know that we've learned much yet you know uc davis was the worst team in the field and i think at the time they played in terms of uh ken pomerading michigan state was the second worst team uh remaining in the round of 32 so probably haven't learned much but it's obviously you know encouraging that they've played as well as they have
2: yeah yeah i i actually took a look at that after you had said it on twitter and i believe they moved up to sixth worst right after that round of 64 but Still, I mean, they, they didn't really move up that much compared. So, yeah, I mean, it, it still was definitely a big mismatch when you looked at Ken Palm. Um, and I wasn't really surprised to see them pull away at the end. Mike, did, did did you have any thoughts about the first couple games?
1: Not much on UC Davis. I mean, I think we pretty much got what we expected there. Uh, I don't know that we expected a 22-22 game in the first 10 minutes or whatever that was. but. I mean, we got the margin that we were looking for, and and the game was never really in doubt. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, As for Michigan State, I just – I had that feeling the whole time that, you know, the game was won, but they didn't win it until, you know, again, five minutes to go in the game. So, uh, you know, like like Fetch said, I don't know if we really learned anything. Um, It is potentially uh, bothersome that Michigan State hung around for 35 minutes, 36 minutes. Uh, well, maybe not even that long, thirty-four minutes. But uh, yeah, uh, I I I don't think we learned much at all. We didn't already know, I guess we should say that as well.
2: Yeah, the couple of things that I noticed uh, for, uh, specifically from the Michigan State game, it was a little concerning that you know they had some injury issues early, and we couldn't really put them away at that point. You would have thought we would have had that that nice advantage there for the few minutes. Um, the other thing I noticed a lot. And it could be potentially troubling if it continues. Um, I noticed a lot of Mason driving into the lane and not getting the calls that he had been getting pretty much all Big 12. Hopefully, the fact that we have, you know, a week between games almost and and we're going to be looking at a different officiating crew. Hopefully, we don't have a similar sort of thing where our guys are driving in and just not getting calls. If that happens, we're going to have a lot of trouble with with Purdue. So... um,
3: yeah, I agree, and I, I guess I don't mean to interrupt you guys here, but uh, one thing that I saw, um, I'm pretty sure it was on Twitter, and it was during the game, so I obviously don't remember who said it, but uh, it did seem like it was one guy on the one end of the floor who wasn't calling things, which is, you know, it, it is what it is at this point, I guess. But you're right, that, you know, those uh, you know five or six fouls that he can draw and the extra, you know, eight, ten points, that he can score are, are obviously, especially when, you know, when they don't have certain lineups on the floor, it can be tough for them to score at times. So, uh, whereas in the past, you know, him driving into guys probably was a bad idea. Now, um, with him finishing a little bit better, it's actually pretty good offense. And when he can draw fouls, it's a bonus. But uh, especially with those two big guys that Purdue has, I think it's important to, to draw the fouls as well.
2: Right. All right, well, did anyone uh, want to talk about any of the other craziness that kind of happened over the weekend there? Um any particular games that jumped out to you as big upsets other than I guess South Carolina over Duke? Um any other big ones there that that you just have to talk about?
1: I mean, the East region is just a terrible mess. Uh, you know, I I don't enough, enough to do it and and that happened and um I only know one person who picked South Carolina over Duke and that person doesn't, isn't even, you know, it's one of those people who is not even a college basketball fan. So, uh, you yeah, know, I'm not sure that that really counts, but, uh, yeah, the, the East region was just terrible and Baylor has a, a nice run to the final four if they can take advantage of it here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we could have a couple of big 12 teams in the final four. That could be fun.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say screw Duke. Uh, so you covered that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that too. Um,
3: I mean, it's ridiculous to me, kind of the, I mean, obviously they had a ton of talent. Uh, They had, I mean, a pretty easy run. It seemed like, yeah, you know, South Carolina was in South Carolina and stuff, but I mean, I I would take playing South Carolina in a second round game, to be honest with you. Uh, And they just, I mean, they just blew it, which I mean, it happens. I'm not like saying they choked or anything like that, but it's just, you know, reminds me of 2011 when it seemed like we had a, Pretty easy run all the way and then blew it (laughs) against VCU, not to drag up that memory. But uh, the other, obviously, thing I think I'm watching is the UCLA Kentucky game. I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun. Probably have three top 10 picks going. Um, Maybe four, I guess, depending on if anyone falls in love with TJ Leaf or Bam Adebayo, but probably just three. But even so, I mean, it's going to be. Obviously, a rematch of that game that UCLA won in Rupp, and and that's probably the marquee game this weekend.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think that may end up being the marquee game until we get to the Final Four. Even I mean, that's going to be a massive matchup. And I, I mean, they're 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 pretty pretty evenly matched if you look at it overall. Um, I'm not really impressed with UNC almost going down to Arkansas. I, I get the feeling that this Kentucky and UCLA matchup is going to be, you know, probably the marquee game of this entire week. Um, you know, Gonzaga, Arizona has a decent shot of of matching that if they can go, you know, blow by blow there. Um, but with all the other upsets in the bracket, yeah, it's kind of hard to find another matchup that's probably going to be as anticipated and actually be able to to deliver. The one team that kind of surprised me over the weekend, I think, was Florida. Um, you know, I thought with them losing um the players that they had to injury. Um, You know, and then just having some struggles recently with the the losses to Vanderbilt. You know, I just I did not expect them to come out as strong as they did and to see them just completely demolish Virginia, although it is Virginia. You know, they do have a habit of falling flat on their face when they get past the first round. So um, but Florida was extremely impressive. I I think they have a good shot now to kind of run through and make it to the final four as well. Yeah, yeah I uh, definitely a shocker they're
1: for They're third in
3: Ken Palm right now.
2: Yeah, they
3: they were impressive.
2: All right, well, Thank- did anyone else have any other comments about anything that that went on this this last weekend? Or, or do we want to? No, I guess I was just
3: gonna go do a, a general, you know, Big Twelve. Uh, you know, think looks, looks like they have a, yeah. a good <laughs> chance to. You know, you get all three teams in the Elite Eight. I mean, I think West Virginia is a interesting matchup for Gonzaga. I mean, I don't know how Karnowski is going to be able to stay on the floor if West Virginia's press is working the way it can. And, I mean, I, I think they got a chance in that one. So, you might you might be seeing three Big 12 teams in the Elite Eight, which would be pretty crazy.
1: I didn't get to watch any of the West Virginia games. Did you guys watch those? And how did the refs, if you did, how did the refs call their games?
2: Yeah, actually, I got to watch most of the game against Notre Dame, and I mean, I thought the refs actually called it pretty straight. I mean, West West Virginia was nowhere near, I thought, as physical as they usually are in Big 12 play when they played against Notre Dame. I think part of that is Notre Dame's a little bit quicker than, than some of the teams that they deal with, and so they were laying back just a little bit to kind of make sure that they didn't get blown right by them. Um, but yeah, I didn't notice West Virginia necessarily being as physical as they were in our matchups or the matchups with Baylor. Um, And the refs really did not, you know, call anything that was just egregious to me. So it it looked like they were calling it straight, but West Virginia wasn't necessarily pressing as much as they usually do.
3: Uh, Yeah, I didn't, uh, I did not really watch much of either game. I watched probably three minutes of the Bucknell game and about three minutes of the Notre Dame game. So. Uh, only 19 fouls in their first round game uh, against Bucknell. And uh, this is great radio. My computer's being really slow. Uh, (laughs) An amount of fouls against Notre Dame. Uh, My computer's not cooperating.
2: No, that's all right. And yeah, I I actually did watch some of that Bucknell game. I guess down, or I, I got stuck with most of the CBS games over the weekend. So I got to watch West Virginia, both their games and, some of the other matches I didn't necessarily want to, but yeah, against Bucknell, they, I mean, again, the, the defense just didn't seem to be as swarming as it usually is. I don't know if part of that's just laying off a little bit because it un, it's unfamiliar opponents, um, but they also seemed to kind of take Bucknell a little lightly at first, I think, um, and then kind of ramped up the pressure late, but Bucknell was was, was hitting shots, uh, which kind of made it a little harder for them to put the, the full press on. At least from what I could see. So, um, but yeah, I mean, West Virginia definitely looks like they are, are going to be an interesting matchup for Gonzaga. I just I'm not sure that they can pull that off. Although I would love to see it. So.
3: All right. Well, 18 against Notre Dame, by the way. Finally. Oh, how many? 18.
2: 18. Okay. So.
3: So and again, without watching, who knows if they committed a thousand and didn't get called for them, or right. know, actually did.
2: Yeah, that, that was kind of my original question. So I just I, oh I yeah, know. yeah no no it, it it didn't seem like they were fouling a bunch and, and getting really friendly whistles. If if they fouled them, it looked like they were actually getting called for it. So they they just played a lot, I, I guess, a lot softer on defense in terms of just not like right up in everybody's face and, and making sure that people can't actually move. Um, they actually played some legitimate defense in those first two games. So yeah, it, it was definitely a different look from them. All right, well let's let's go ahead and move uh, on. Let's take a look at the uh, Purdue game coming up. I, I know I know we've got a bunch of uh, preview coming up and on the site in the next couple days. Here, um, I'm actually doing a podcast with some of the Hammer and Rails guys, Rails guys tomorrow as well. But uh, any any thoughts you guys want to share about Purdue? Uh, bad matchups or you know matchups you're excited to see or anything like that?
1: I mean, everybody pretty much knows about Hass and Swanigan, so I'm I'm just going to kind of turn it over to Fetch and let him impart his basketball knowledge on everybody here.
2: That sounds good to me.
3: <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so just kind of talking about the game on Twitter, a lot of Purdue fans say that uh, Swanigan is not going to be guarding Josh Jackson, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, just in the sense that that would have to mean that they're not both him and him and Haas aren't both on the floor, uh, at the same time. And, you know, if if they're not both on the floor at the same time, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Kansas going small is going to be Purdue going small. Um, so I, you know, I think they're probably going to have to play both and try to get Lucas into foul trouble. Um, uh, on the other end, you know, Kansas scoring on them. I mean, neither of those two between Swanee and Haas are, are great interior defenders. I mean, obviously, Haas has the size, um, but taking a look at worst in the country or something like that at, at field goal percentage allowed at the rim. So neither guy really gets over there and protects the rim. Um you know, the issue, I guess, is going to be getting there. I think having those two big guys in there is more of a deterrent factor than anything else. But obviously, you know, it's no secret that the the big matchup in the game is going to be what Kansas does with Swanigan. Um Other than, you know, the fact that Swanigan can shoot the ball really well from the perimeter, he reminds me a lot of, of Jonathan Motley in that he's you know, pretty versatile in the post, passes the ball really well out of the post. Um, good on the glass, obviously. So, um, if you remember back to the Waco game, whenever Motley got the ball, uh, especially when he was the corner, basically an all out blitz to double team him and, and try to force him into turnovers and stuff. And uh, I think that's probably what they're going to do with Swanigan too. Um, as good of a passer as he is, his turnover rate is higher than his assist rate. So, you know, I think they're going to try and get him in trouble that way. And I think the other thing that they're going to try to do too, uh, and obviously I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but when he's on Josh Jackson, you know, they're they're going to try and make him pay for that and just isolate Josh Jackson on him. I mean, uh, Deontay Burton from Iowa State just killed him the whole down the stretch of that game. And I only watched the last probably five minutes of that game because they had gotten up by so much, and then Iowa State was making their comebacks. So I turned on the game, but... Uh, Burton was just going at him and going at him and going at him. And I mean, Matt Painter had no clue what to do to adjust. Swanigan couldn't stay in front of him. Uh, And and I mean, if, if, you know, Steve Prohm can drop an offense to score repeatedly, I think Bill Self can. So uh, I think that's going to be the key is making them pay for, you know, putting Swanigan in some tough spots.
2: Right. Yeah. So I was talking with a few of the uh, Purdue guys and I, I, I had gotten kind of that same feedback, but I, I the only way I can see that they don't have Swanigan on Jackson or, you know, on someone like Zvi or something like that is if they go to zone. And from everything I've seen, they're not really that great of a zone team this year. It's kind of similar to, to with Kansas, where they, you know, play straight man-to-man and only go to zone in, like, dire emergencies. Really, the, I think the only way to kind of avoid those mismatches both ways is, is for the teams to go zone. And, and I just don't know how realistic it is to think that they're going to be able to do that for large stretches. Um, That four guard lineup will just eat that zone alive um, passing in and out. The other thing I noticed (laughs) that there was a lot of people that were saying, you know, what they wanted to see, or they were really excited for the Frank Mason versus Caleb Swanigan matchup. And I know that they were talking about the national player of the year race, but there were a lot of people that took it a little too far (laughs) and were like, no, they're going to be playing like directly with each other, which the only way I see that happening is Frank Mason driving in the lane and, and, Really, the only matchup there is does Mason draw the foul or not? So if if that's happening and he's driving in repeatedly, then that's going to be good for us. Is, is the only thing that I can think of there. So,
3: yeah, that's a that's a really good point uh, about the fouls. Um, I mean, it's so it's so weird because Swami only commits like three and a half fouls per forty minutes, which is really good. Um, yeah,
2: that's insane. But
3: he's fouled out of like six or seven games this year, so it's kind of like. When he does foul, they come in bunches. And then when he doesn't, he just gets one or two. And I can't really figure out any rhyme or reason as far as why. But uh, obviously, if he can get a couple early ones on him, that's going to help.
2: Yeah, I think um, from what I had seen, and and I'm going to ask them more about this tomorrow, but from what I had seen, he has problems playing too far out on the perimeter. Um, So, again, I think that that's going to be probably one of the main goals is to try to get him – to come out, to have to come out on Josh Jackson, because Haas, I don't think is going to be able to come out at all. Um, they, they, we're, we're talking about they do have some other versatile players that could potentially play inside and out, but I, I don't see how you keep Swanigan or Haas off the, off the court for extended periods of time and still be able to run the kind of offense they need to, to keep up with, with the Kansas offense. So, um, it'll be really interesting to see exactly how they do that. I mean, kind of like with the Iowa State and and Purdue game, there was just so many possibilities of what they would do and what what strengths they would try to highlight and who would actually be able to execute their game plan. I think we're kind of in a similar situation here where the styles are such a huge contrast that I could really see the game going any any which way because it depends on what starts to be effective and how does the game evolve. We're going to see a lot of um, in-game coaching, I think, for this game. And it'll be fascinating to see which, which coach is able to go ahead and, and actually pull that off.
3: Mike. And, and one last thing to watch, I guess, too, is Purdue and Kansas both shoot, I mean, basically the exact same percentage from three. They're both a little bit over 40%. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and they both take you know, right around the same amount of threes. I mean, Purdue takes a few more than Kansas does. So, uh, you know, Kansas has had some trouble getting out on shooters this year. um, And you've got to wonder if that's going to come back to bite them a little bit. Um, So that's, I think, honestly, of all the things, I mean, obviously, Swanigan is really good. But of everything, I think, you know, just Purdue shooting is the thing that kind of worries
2: me the most. Yeah, I have to agree with that um the other thing that i kind of noticed looking at it was was free throws you know we're talking about how we have to get to the line and 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 get our free throw percentage up and it was great the last couple games but um purdue i've noticed is is actually a pretty good free throw shooting team but they don't get to the line very much they also don't send their opponents to the line very much so fouls and how it's getting called is probably going to be a big swing one way or another um, for one of the teams and hopefully you know, that's Mason driving in and, and getting a bunch of fouls on them as opposed to Lucas getting in trouble really quickly. Any other thoughts on, on, on the Purdue game, guys? Uh, no, I, I think I've, uh, I have bored you. <laughs> <laughs> so really quick, before we kind of move on to other things, um, I, I know we don't want to get too far into either of the other possibilities after Purdue, but I, I will just ask for your quick thoughts. Which – Which team would you rather face, an Oregon team or or a Michigan team that seems to be really hot right now?
1: Well, I think that's a pretty easy question.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do too. Uh, The only downside is whenever I seem to prefer a team, that team wins and then beats Kansas. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, there's there's no doubt in my mind that Oregon – without Chris Boucher is the easier opponent right now. Um, I mean, I I just, I don't really see Ennis and Dorsey having great games against the backcourt. And I think that obviously you're not going to stop Dylan Brooks, but I mean, I I think a concerted effort from, you know, Josh Jackson and and maybe some Vic and stuff could at least slow him down to the point where, uh, you know, the rest of the, the Jayhawks could win. Whereas Michigan, I mean, they're just playing so well and, Uh, teams that shoot as many threes as they do and shoot them as well as they do kind of worry me because if they're if they're on there's really nothing you can do about it right and so i mean (laughs) you know if they if they shoot 30 threes and make 20 of them or whatever i mean what are you gonna do so uh give me oregon all day
1: yeah that's exactly where i was going with that is michigan's just just too hot right now and you just kind of hope that you know, Oregon can rally the troops for one more game and knock them off. And then, uh, Kansas can exploit what's hopefully a wounded, uh, Oregon team. And, uh, you know, like, say, like Fetch mentioned, they're missing their, their, their post player there. And, um, I feel like we'd have the edge in the, all, all across the court, front court and back court in that one. Uh, you know, and if Michigan makes eighteen threes, you know, we know that they could beat us. So I guess that goes for anybody, though.
2: Yeah, I was I was fully expecting before the uh, games on, uh, well, let's see, Oregon and uh, Rhode Island played on Sunday, so or whenever they 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 played, I was fully expecting actually Rhode Island to win that game, and so I was thinking it was going to be a much tougher choice there. Um, you know, o- Oregon missing Boucher, I thought was a pretty big hole for them coming into the tournament, and I, I was a little surprised that they actually made it to the Sweet Sixteen, but. Michigan, and and I was going to say this in our last podcast, Mike, but I I kind of forgot. Michigan kind of reminds me of that Connecticut team that went streaking to the title a few years back um, when they played Kentucky for the title. Um, I think that was 2012 when Wichita State was the number one seed. Um, You know, they they had that adversity right before the conference tournament and then out of nowhere just came and won a ton of games um, to win their conference tournament and then just streaked right through the through the field there. So that's kind of the team that I was hoping that we weren't going to see. You know, I was thinking they had a really good shot to beat Louisville and they ended up doing that. But I was I was actually kind of hoping that Louisville would take care of them because, you know, I I see them kind of with that same swagger and that same hot streak that we saw from Connecticut. And I really don't want to be one of the teams that's kind of in their way. So, yeah, hopefully Oregon can take care of them for us. Um, I I still like our chances against Michigan, obviously, if it comes down to that, but I I really, you know, just don't want to be in the way of that train that's coming in that, in that direction, if we can at all help it. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, just a a couple other things, I think, to kind of wrap up before, uh, before we get to the questions that we have coming in on Twitter um there's there's a bunch of other stuff that's kind of happened nationally was was there any of the coaching changes that kind of jumped out at you guys maybe a why did that happen or uh obviously brad underwood going from oklahoma state to to illinois we've kind of had a few tweets about that and kind of talked about that a little bit in comments and stuff but was was there kind of anything at all well i mean how how surprising was that for you guys we'll start with mike I mean, I was stunned. I for sure didn't see
1: that coming. Um, <laughs> the funniest part was all the K State fans in my office were just supremely upset with their administration for, you know, for a guy who was apparently open to a job change and and a guy that they want um, and a guy that they didn't get again for the what second year in a row now, uh, but uh, Oklahoma State just became noticeably weaker today, especially with Juwan Evans declaring for the draft and um he has every intention of staying in the draft from everything I've read. Uh so Oklahoma State's definitely taking a step backwards and uh yeah. I don't know that Brad Underwood left for a better job, but uh he uh he definitely left for some more money and uh probably a more dedicated ad- ad- administration as well, I would assume. I mean they they just would they throw six million bucks at him or something like that.
2: Well yeah, I I think well, I know that I know it was a three million buyout. It would have been a six million to go to K State. And and I think honestly, you know, that's I think that's the most surprising thing is that it didn't appear that Underwood was actually available. Um Right. Yeah. And because of that huge buyout, he was only one year in, they had some good success, and it looked like that he was building that program. You know, if if you had if you had given me, you know, fifteen opportunities to, to name who would be the next coach at illinois i would not have had brad underwood on that list at all um i mean i I can't think of any position other than um you know maybe like a kansas or or you know one of those top tier you know automatic jobs that i would even think he would have thought to listen to or that would have even thought to go to him you know as, as their next potential coach there so yeah i was i mean it's definitely a good move by illinois to, to get a coach like that, I I'm guessing he's going to get a few years there to kind of rebuild, um, but then they're going to expect him to be jumping in and and competing for Big Ten titles pretty quickly there, I would imagine. So, but yeah, definitely a good move for them. I I wouldn't have thought he would be available, so I don't think K State fans really have any right to be too upset with the administration on that one, especially since the buyout was double in the conference than it was outside the conference. Fetch, did you have any other thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, from our, you know, point of view, obviously, that's the big news. You know, now it becomes who the heck does Oklahoma State hire? Uh, I'm sure there are some Kansas fans who are worried because, you know, it's Bill Self's alma mater and everything. But at this point, I think that, yeah, you know, I mean, knock on wood, but I think that ship has sailed. Um you spent more time at Kansas now than Oklahoma State. And, I mean, can't, even with T-Boon money, I mean, Kansas can, can match that with what they have and, and can... You know, they have obviously a lot better facilities, but uh, obviously the the big job that's open nationally is Indiana. Um, I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be one of Steve Alford or Greg Marshall. Um, Please, is, Greg,
1: Marshall. Please Greg Marshall. Please, Greg
3: Marshall. I think, you know, you, you probably can't go wrong with either guy. I mean, they're both, you know, good coaches and stuff, so... Um, The other one uh, that just happened that I'm a little I don't know if perplexed about is the right word but Will Wade leaving VCU for LSU it just seems like I mean unless you have an in you know obviously New Orleans isn't as big of a basketball place as it is a football place but unless you have an in there I mean I don't know why you'd want to go to LSU um, but you know maybe you stick around VCU for too long and then no job is open I don't know but that's another weird one for me. Uh, but obviously I think, you know, all, all eyes are, are on Indiana and what the heck they're going to do. Cause that's, that's probably going to kick off the, the carousel because if, if Alford leaves, then UCLA is open and that's obviously a huge job. Uh, you know, if Marshall leaves, then, then Wichita state's open and Wichita state has proven to be a, a pretty good stepping stone for, for coaches. Um, so that's obviously going to be, uh, job that a lot of, you know, lower and mid-major coaches want. And, you know, maybe even some some power five coaches that maybe haven't quite had the success they want and want to step down and kind of re-jumpstart their career. So uh, once Indiana gets filled, I think you're going to see quite a flurry of activity.
2: Yeah. The other one that kind of jumped out at me, and I mean, maybe this makes more sense to you guys, but Quanzo Martin going from Cal to Missouri. I mean, maybe that's just my anti-MU bias there, but, you know, I thought I thought actually the, the Cal job there was a decent, you know, he he was in a decent position there. The Pac-12 as a whole probably isn't really going to be that strong going forward. I mean, you've got the three at the top, but especially if Alford leaves UCLA, that puts that program in flux a little bit while they try to figure out where to go next. Um, I thought he had some really good opportunities in a, in a pretty strong league, um, not having to deal with the well, honestly, the, the dumpster fire that is Missouri. I mean, I understand he has ties to the region and that kind of makes it a little easier for him to come home there. Um, but you know, that Missouri program is just an absolute train wreck right now. And I'm not so sure that he's going to be able to turn it around in the kind of time frame that they're going to expect. Cause every, every Mizzou fan that I know, you know, that <laughs> cause, cause I, I, I do know a few from my time in Kansas city that, that I still keep in contact with for some reason, <laughs> But they um, you know, they all seem to expect that Kwanzaa Martin's gonna come in and have this program turned around in two years and have it back up and competing for SEC titles and and making the tournament with a decent seat again. And I, I just don't see how that can happen. Um, you know, there's there's talk about he's trying to hire Michael Porter to get his son there. Um, but even if that happens, that's a one year kind of band aid fix there that won't necessarily turn into any kind of long term success. Um and I don't even know if if they have him next year, if that can turn into any success next year, they really do not have much talent at all in that, in that spot. So I was a little surprised to see him go. Um, when, when I first heard his name linked to the Missouri job, I honestly thought people were just, you know, overreaching and thinking, and you know, looking for, for that home run hire. That just wasn't going to happen.
1: And here's what no. I get, And I, and I tweeted this out earlier this evening is LSU had Ben Simmons for a year, and they didn't even make an nit, and he was the number one overall pick in the draft, consensus number one recruit, all that stuff, right? I haven't heard anybody say Porter is the number one pick or the number one recruit, and yet somehow Missouri fans think that he's going to save their program basically in one year, like that. Uh, Missouri right now is in a way worse position than LSU was a couple of years ago, and. I mean, I have a hard time seeing them. Even if they do get them, seeing them finish above five hundred, I just, I, I, I understand why they're excited, but I, I don't understand the, the, incredible optimism. I guess I just, I just, I, I know you don't need that many players to turn around a basketball team or a program, but you got to have more than one, and you got to have them for more than one year.
3: Yeah, I. Uh, we all know how I feel about recruiting, but. Uh, it does sound like, you know, Porter's the number one or two guy in the class and he's listed second on draft Express's 2018 mock. So he's obviously really good, but one, one kind of funny thing I just thought of when we were talking about the UCLA job is, um, Lonzo brothers, younger brother, Lonzo Ball's younger brother, excuse me. Uh, I, th- I think LaMelo was the middle one. Um, and then Le'Angelo is the youngest, if I remember correctly, but. Uh, anyway, LaMelo is going to be a freshman at UCLA next year. And with Quanzo Martin, maybe hiring, you know, Michael Porter senior to get Michael Porter jr. I kind of had a funny thought of, uh, what if, uh, UCLA hires Quanzo Martin away from Missouri and then, you know, in order to get Michael Porter senior yeah, Michael Porter senior there. And then Michael Porter jr. I think that would kind of be the ultimate, uh, Missouri basketball outcome. <laughs>
2: So, like, hire him away in the next couple of weeks after he's already – Yeah, like the <laughs> – you know, Alfred gets the
3: Indiana job, and then UCLA says, okay, we're going to hire Quanzo and get, you know, Michael. Because Michael Porter Jr. has a younger brother as well, who uh, I think is, is, you know, like a top 50-ish guy who's going to reclassify so he can play with them or something to that effect. So, you know, you get those three on a team with the other talent they have. I mean, that would be – you know, that would be a really good team. Uh, but obviously, I mean UCLA can get a better coach than Kwanzo, so who knows if they would do that? But I think it would be kind of funny to, you know, rub Mizzou's face in it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think that's wishful thinking from a Kansas fan. Um, I would love to see it happen, just because you know that's ultimate Mizzou karma there. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that's you know, there's there's still a lot of craziness I think to come with the coaching carousel, especially once the tournament's actually over. Um, And the NIT tournaments over and some of those better coaches that are in the NIT start looking elsewhere as well. Um, So yeah, there'll be a lot of uh, interesting things to to keep track of there. The only other bit of news that I saw that was that, that I think we've all kind of known is going to happen for a while, but seeing that Wichita state is looking at going to the American athletic conference um, while, while nobody will officially confirm it, it almost seems like it's inevitable at this point. Um, you know, talking about how Greg Marshall might move on and then Wichita State might move into a completely different conference. I think I think that may cause some issues for them if they do all of that at once. So um Greg I think keeping Greg Marshall is, is gonna be their their top priority. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get another extension or raise or something just to try to make sure that he stays there. Um I don't know how feasible that is at at a place like Wichita State. I mean they're already paying him quite a bit, but um, it should be interesting to see just how how desperate they are to hold on to him, especially with everything that they've kind of got planned to, to move up in their in their profile to a higher-level conference.
3: Yeah, it yeah, seems I think, like – oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just saying, I think he already makes, what, three and a half four million million, a year. And I think it's, the thing he has going for him down there is, which I say doesn't have anything else. I mean, there's no football. It's just – it's all basketball all the time. and uh, I mean they I mean they don't have, the Athletic Department doesn't have the funds because they don't have a football team, they don't have the funds that, you know, any power five or any, even the mid major schools do, uh, you know, to that they can throw all their resources at the basketball team and like I said, I don't know how feasible a raise is I I don't know, I don't know what a salary is exactly. I think it's in the three and a half to four million dollar range. I don't know how feasible a raise is at that amount either. What's Bill Self thinking right now, five or so? I mean, it's uh, not, there's not much, there's not much room for him to to, not not, he can't go much higher there. Is what I'm trying to say. I think.
2: True. I think I think Marshall. It's really just going to come down to is he happy where he's at? Because I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be able to make a bunch more, even if he moves on to one of these top level jobs, unless someone like UCLA wants them and they're willing – or or Indiana. And they're willing to throw, you know, five or six million a year at him. Um, you know, but with all the – I honestly, I think he has the most influence that he can on a program at Wichita State. So, really, it's going to come down to what his his thoughts are um, kind of moving forward there. So, um, Fetch, did did you have any comments about that you wanted to make? Uh, I mean, I guess
3: they kind of have to, given that they've been, you know – I mean, obviously, they were really good this year. Uh, and just got, you know, a 10 seed. Um, yeah. and there's just, they they just don't have as many, you know, opportunities to prove how good they are. I mean, they're, they lost their, what three, you know, big marquee non-conference games that they had against what Louisville, Michigan state and Oklahoma state. And, you know, they beat Oklahoma once, but that, I mean, that's a nothing resume when you add in the Valley, um, but the, the one thing with the American, though, is, like, is that really going to be that much better? I mean, it seems like they're going to get, you know, a, a six seed if they win. I mean, SMU was 30-5 and five this year. Uh, and, I mean, they don't really have any great non-conference wins, I guess. They beat TCU. What do you do? Uh, but, they, you know, they were a six seed. I mean, I don't really know that. It's going to be that much of a boost for him, and I guess I don't know about you know the travel budget and all that. Obviously, the Cokes have enough money to pay for all that, but you know I I don't know if the benefits outweigh the the risks or not.
2: Um, Yeah, and and that was kind of
1: yeah
2: that that was kind of the one thing that I was thinking of when everyone was talking about. Well, it's it's inevitable they're going to move, but you know if you look at it. The, the American conference was in the same boat as the MVC in that there was two teams that people thought were decent this year, and the rest of the teams were kind of just mediocre didn't really do anything to move the needle. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess the one thing that Wichita State would definitely get, even if they're, you know, beaten up on, on the uh, American instead of the Missouri Valley, is that the RPI would be a little higher, but it's not like they can go much higher in Ken Palm. Um, you know, they were already a top 10 squad in Ken Palm, and those things that are going to be more important going forward now as opposed to the RPI. So, I mean, yeah, it it, it may seem like it's a step up just because it's the American. It used to be, you know, half of the big East. Um, but really, I mean, I don't think resume wise, it's going to give them much more other than, you know, Cincinnati and SMU are probably going to be pretty good next year as well. So they'll have, you know, two other teams in their conference that are pretty good as opposed to just the one, um, and UConn's
1: in there
2: too. UConn's in there. I mean, they've kind of been up and down. I'm not sure that the prospects for any of the other teams are immediately going to be much better next year. Um, like, I mean, UConn doesn't have like a a monster recruiting class coming in or anything, and they've been kind of slowly slipping over the years since they made that run. So, and and I mean, I could probably attribute part of that to being in the American. The fact that their their overall conference. You know, they haven't had that kind of competition. So when they're playing outside of conference now, you know, they're 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 not getting that, you know, in day in, day out, heavy competition to kind of get them ready for it. So um that I mean ultimately it may not be a good move for Wichita at all just because of all that, that extra travel, but who knows?
3: Yeah, the uh the top six in the American this year were SMU, Cincinnati. Houston, Central Florida, Yukon, and Memphis. So, I mean, that's a nice mix of, you know, Cincinnati and Memphis and Connecticut have a lot of history. Um, obviously, Memphis and Yukon are a little bit down right now, but you, you kind of, I mean, I don't know why Memphis hired Debbie Smith instead of someone who could, you know, recruit Memphis. But once once they get someone <laughs> who can, you know, recruit the area again, I think they'll be fine. And then, you know, Houston, I mean, SMU, they're both in metropolitan areas. So maybe they can, you know, get some of the, you know, second, third tier kids from that area to stay home and and be good enough. And, you know, obviously central Florida is a big place uh, in terms of just having, I mean, it's just a huge school, you know, so they have a huge alumni base and everything. I don't know, but I mean, it doesn't really seem like it's that much better
2: well, and and, and the other right. thing to think about too is that the next time any of the other conferences come calling for expansion, the Americans probably losing their best their their best few teams. So I mean, yeah, really, that's a good point. Really, I think the only the only reason I think at this point to seriously consider it as an immediate upgrade would be that puts Wichita State in that group of of teams that they're going to be looking for for expansion candidates. Now, obviously it's going to require them to bring back football like they've been talking about potentially doing and, and a bunch of other things to get them, you know, kind of in that realm of possibilities, but at, at least getting, starting to get associated with those, those schools and kind of get your name out there that way. There's, there's definitely benefits to be had there, but the conference itself is going to be in flux anytime anyone talks about expanding from, from the power five or the traditional six. Um So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's It's definitely got its issues it kind of gets them almost in like a stepping stone situation where they have the potential to maybe think about moving up even further in the future um but in terms of the league strength at this point, it's kind of just it's the top of the rest, i would say probably at this point so all right well um we're we're kind of running up on the end of our time here, but real quick, i know um we had kind of put out a call for uh, questions on the uh, Twitter line there. Fetch, what, what do you have for us from there?
3: Uh, we, at this time, honestly only have one. All right. Uh, and it's basically uh, how well Josh Jackson compares uh, to Kawhi Leonard. And uh, I will start by saying I'm not – I mean, I watch the NBA and I like the drafts and everything, but obviously I'm a lot more of a college guy. Um I don't think he's gonna get there defensively. Um, I mean, who can? honestly? I mean Kawhi's the best perimeter defender in the league and one of the best ones probably ever at this point. Um, offensively, maybe. I mean, his ball handling's really good. His shot looks gross, but he can shoot it in rhythm, which is nice. And I don't think he's gonna be able to hit those like off the jump, uh, off the dribble jumpers in the pros. But you know, he can maybe be like a corner shooter type guy. So offensively, you know, if he keeps improving and stuff, maybe, but I think defensively he'll be, uh, I mean, even if he's 75%, that's still a really good defender, but I don't think he's going to be as good as Kawhi.
2: Yeah, unfortunately I am not an NBA, an NBA guy at all. Um, you know, I kind of try to follow some of the the Hawks that are up there, um, and I'll watch during the finals and everything. But, yeah, I definitely would not be the guy to ask about that. Mike, you have any thoughts? <laughs>
1: Uh, I did not. I did not watch any NBA Um, I guess I put a related question that we have such attempt to answer and that a lot of people before Jackson got on campus wanted to compare him to Wiggins. Um, so I guess my question that I thought of would be, how do you think Jackson Wood is gonna do in the NBA compared to Andrew Wiggins? Uh, I mean they you know, the, the similar frame and similar positions and similar effects and all that type of stuff.
3: Well, uh, I guess I'm a Wolves fan, so I'm biased. But uh, I think uh, Wiggins is going to be better. I mean, the the advanced stats don't like Wiggins because he's kind of doing a lot of, like, empty scoring and not doing, you know, not a great passer, not a great rebounder, and, like, his defensive numbers are not great. But uh, I'm on the record as to not trusting, like, defensive advanced stats very much. Um, I think he's going to get better, and I think, you know, he's played for – just some awful NBA coaches I mean he played for like Kurt Rambus and Sam Mitchell who are two of the worst coaches in the history of the NBA
2: yeah who who I mean yeah
3: (laughs) yeah I mean you got to consider that um and his role in the team I mean it's really just it's not to rebound and pass and I mean I guess that kind of gives him a little bit of of an excuse but I mean they have you know Ricky Rubio who's maybe the best passing guard in the league or certainly close. Uh, And he obviously can't score very well. So a lot of that falls to Wiggins. Um, And and then defensively, I mean, you know, he and Towns and Levine and all these guys are all really young and they're all learning how to play and stuff. And I'm hoping now that he's got Thibodeau and now that he's got a more structure around them that, you know, some of the advanced stats are going to creep up. I mean, he's obviously super athletic and stuff. But uh, as far as Jackson goes, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm torn on on whether or not he's going to be like a superstar type guy or just kind of a really good starter. Um, obviously, he's going to compete and, and try, you know, give him 100% every game, whether that's wise or not to do. And I think he probably does have more potential on the glass, but um, I think Wiggins is going to end up being just, just a little bit better player than he is, even though I'm, I'm sure I'm getting laughed at right now by every, you know, NBA fan who really pours over those advanced stats. Um, And and I mean, you know, everyone who knows me knows that I, you know, like advanced stats as much as the next guy, but and I'm, I'm still out in basketball terms in in putting them all into one number and, and you know like a like a wins above replacement type deal so
2: yeah i mean and you know i've got a very somewhat limited knowledge of how all this stuff works in the nba but at least my my observation from the last few years has been that they're kind of trending more towards it takes a few years for a player to really get going unless he's just the absolute 100% cut above like a lebron james or or Um, Someone like that. I mean, even even Steph Curry was not immediately lights out in the NBA. And now he's, you know, one of the best players in the in in the league right now, um, especially offensively. So, you know, the fact that it's it's Wiggins third year in the league here and he's I mean, he's not completely taken over yet to this point isn't really something that's too concerning for me. And I mean, I I imagine it's going to be a few years at least before we can even start making a comparison about how Wiggins is doing compared to Jackson in the league. Um, I mean, you know, all the big time players that are kind of coming on now have been in the league for at least three years or so. Um, So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really thinking that we can really make any of those sorts of um, determinations at this point of who's actually going to have a better career, especially since Jackson hasn't even, you know, been drafted yet. So, He's still playing in college gonna still still trying to adapt to the college game he'll he'll take a little while to adapt to the n b a game once he gets there but yeah i'm I'm fully expecting both of them to be solid players um but I'm not really sure which one is gonna have the better the better overall career or the better overall um you know best seasons or anything like that so all right well, did anyone have any kind of final thoughts at all um we'll 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 try to get another one in pretty early next week, and hopefully it's gonna be a uh final four preview as opposed to a season wrap up but uh did anyone have 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 anything else they wanted to talk about real quick before we wrap up
3: uh i I am just gonna be uh putting hexes on all of purdue's three point shooters um that's gonna be my <laughs> my main contribution to this game i think. So, like I said, I mean, you know, their shooting is just as good as as Kansas's is. Um, So, I mean, I think a lot of it's going to come down to who makes more of them. So, uh, in that sense, I mean, it is kind of like tossing a coin a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's it's such an interesting matchup that if I was not a fan of either team, I'd really like to watch it just to see how each coach reacts. But as a fan, I'm going to be watching, you know, through the gaps in my fingers.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a lot like the, uh, that, that Iowa state and Purdue game from last week is that that was a fascinating massive matchup that I wanted to see, but probably only because I was not actually actively rooting for one of the two teams um, other than, of course, of how I thought they were going to match up against KU. So, um, you know, it was definitely a a fascinating matchup, kind of like that, that Wichita state, Kentucky game, Um, you know, that was highly entertaining or, or Michigan, Louisville, those were highly entertaining games, but only because I wasn't, you know, biting my nails, hoping that the outcome was going to come the way I wanted to. So, well, I'll I'll go ahead and wrap it up with this one last question for you guys, based off of everything that's happened so far, who do you have uh, in, in your final four coming out of this weekend?
1: Mike, you go ahead. Oh, good. Um, well, I, I'm going to be honest with you, fellas. I actually, in in all my brackets that I filled out, all what three of them, I uh, I picked Purdue to advance to the Elite Eight, uh, but didn't lose to Louisville. So I don't know anything. Uh, so I guess my Final Four is going to be uh, Kansas. Uh, I just, I mean, we're the when you lay it all out, I think that we're we're the better team when it comes down to playing Purdue, just overall, and. uh I think that we win that game. I don't. I don't know about seven or eight, ten or eight out of ten times, but uh, a majority of the time. And uh, you know, so you, I think you got to roll with the Jayhawks in that one. And uh, so I, I'm going to go with Kansas. Let's see who's in that other region. Carolina. Uh, they showed some flaws against Arkansas. They had that early 17-point lead, and then you just thought they were going to win that win that game by 40, and and they let Arkansas come back on. So. I don't know if Royce is not playing any defense or what, but uh, I think they're still the favorite down there because one of Kentucky and UCLA is going to lose, and then uh, and then they're going to have to get right back up and play Carolina, the, you know, two days later. Uh, I think that's a lot to ask of the team, so I like Carolina down there. Uh, who's in the uh, who's in the other region over there? I don't have a bracket in front uh, of Gonzaga, me. Gonzaga, West
3: Virginia, Xavier, and Arizona in the West and then uh, Wisconsin-Florida, Baylor-South Carolina in the
1: East. Yeah, I like Baylor to win that region, honestly. Um, uh, it'd be nice, I guess, to see about a, a different Big 12 team other than Kansas in the Final Four, as long as Kansas is there as well, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I kind of like Baylor just with the matchups in that one. With Villanova gone, with Duke gone, I mean, that just opens a way up for them. If Baylor didn't make a Final Four this year, they're never going to. Uh, and then I, I Gonzaga in my title game, so I I really like the Zags. They uh, they played a tough non-conference schedule. Uh, I, you know we talked about Wichita State earlier. They tried to play a tough non-conference schedule. Didn't really work out for them this year. But uh, Gonzaga beat uh, boy who they beat? They beat Arizona, I know for sure. Uh, they had four or five other uh, top 25 wins in there. They beat St. Mary's three times and. St. Mary's almost knocked off Arizona. So uh, I, I really like the, the Zags to, to make a title run this year and get their first ever Final Four as well.
2: All right. What, what about you, Fetch? Uh,
3: I refuse to pick uh, any games in the Midwest. So uh, that, That's a solid <laughs> Uh I, I like North Carolina as well, uh, similar to what Mike was saying. I mean, just, just from the standpoint that, I mean, Butler – uh not to demean Butler, I guess, but it's almost like a bye week for North Carolina. And then UCLA and Kentucky have to play each other. So, you know, obviously Carolina's the overwhelming favorite and, and I mean I just think they're really good as well. Uh in the West, I actually like West Virginia. Um I think they're kind of, you know. The issue is going to be if they can hit the offensive glass enough uh, against Gonzaga because, you know, Gonzaga's got a really tough defense and, and they're going to need to hit that offensive glass. And I just I don't know if they're going to be able to. But I think they might be able to press them effectively. Uh, and then, you know, Arizona's definitely a good team, but it's kind of the same thing where they rely on their bigs so much. And I think uh, West Virginia can just run uh, and kind of take those bigs out of the game. Um, and then in the East, uh, I, you know, I could see any of the four teams in the East, to be honest with you, I'm going to go with Baylor, um, just cause I, I foresee them in Florida playing. And, and I think that Baylor matches up with Florida pretty well, just cause of that zone they play and And Florida doesn't have the best, uh, outside shooters. I mean, they have, you know, two or three guys who can shoot it pretty well, but, but no one is at, you know, a ridiculously high percentage or anything like that. So um I'm going to take Baylor, North Carolina, West Virginia,
2: and uh
3: someone from the Midwest.
2: Yeah, actually I, uh so I, I kind of have, well, Midwest, I have Kansas. I had them at the beginning of the tournament and that very well may just be, you know, obviously because it's Kansas, Um I won't dive too deep into that one. Um, down in the uh, in the South Regional there, I actually like UCLA to come out of there. Um, I, I had Wichita. I was, <laughs> I actually stuck with my uh, prediction from the last podcast where I said Wichita State was going to run to the Final Four. Unfortunately, obviously that's not going to happen now. But um, uh, UCLA, I just like the way that they have been playing the last couple games um, you know, they have that good momentum and it was never really a matter of whether they could run to the final four. Um, it's just the point. I think that they're the hottest team of those three monster teams out there, North, North Carolina. I actually don't really have much faith in anymore that, that defense did not play very well at all against Arkansas. And it's not like Arkansas is a, a really strong offensive team. Um, so I'm definitely not uh, nearly as high on, on the tar heels as, as most other people are. Um so I I think UCLA and that offense is going to just going to kind of run through everything else. Um again, still going to be a good game with Kentucky there. And and honestly, I would probably take whoever wins that game to make the final four. So if if Kentucky wins, um then I, I see them making it. If if UCLA wins, I think it's them. I just think that UCLA is going to pull that game out. Um over in the west, you know, I I had Gonzaga and Arizona before the tournament as as the final two there. Um, I do like what West, West Virginia has done. I do think that they get the Zags, but I, I still think that Arizona is going to come out of that bracket there. Um, I just, I don't know about what it is about the way that they've been playing. I think St. Saint, Saint Mary's is a lot better team than a lot of people give them credit for. Um, part of that is just that they didn't really have much other than playing against Gonzaga um, on their resume there. And obviously they didn't play well against Gonzaga at all. Um, but I think that's more of a case of just, Gonzaga matches up really well against St. Mary's individually and they are the better team than Saint Mary's. Um and so they, they, they beat them three times this year, of course, but Arizona I think kinda has what they need to, to go ahead and pull that off. So I, I have Arizona coming out of there and um originally I had Duke coming out of the East and I um, you know, obviously there were there's some issues and I have an issue with the whole South Carolina playing in South Carolina as a seven seed against Duke, but that's that's a completely different podcast. There, um, I do have uh, Florida coming out of this this bracket now. I just think um, the way that they were able to put it all together this last week, there they're they're definitely a much hotter team, and I'm not so sure that Baylor matches up with them quite as well as you think that they do. Fetch, um, just the way that that Florida, you know, seeing. Seeing the way that they've been playing down low, I think they can kind of keep up with Baylor, and and I all ultimately I have them coming out of there. So I have, let's see, Kansas, UCLA, Arizona, and Florida. So a one, a two, a three, and a four. All right. Well, I guess at this point we'll go ahead and wrap it up so we can keep it under an hour here. Um, we again we will be back early next week. I'm not sure who exactly we'll have, but but we'll definitely have a group of guys together to kind of break down these next two games here or hopefully it's two games against Purdue and then the winner of Oregon and Michigan. Um, so if not, we'll, we'll be back to kind of wrap up the season and start to look ahead. So until next time, rock chalk.
0: Sports social podcast network.
3: Step into the world of power, loyalty,